Okay, so we're live. Welcome back to the Magic Minds podcast. I'm Matt Bork. You're watching and listening to the Liberty's number one podcast, Yup the Liberties, Yup the Flats. On the show today, I'm joined by an awesome human being by the name of Endo Doherty. Endo, what's the crack? What's the crack? I'm still stuck on the Yup. I love the Yup. <laughs> <laughs> yup the Flats. Yeah, do you know what? We speak English, but you know, you can go anywhere around the world and say Yup the Flats, and people go, what? What are you talking about? And yeah. anyone in Ireland instantly goes, yep, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I just love the flats. I, I just, every chance I get, you know. And it's not because I felt, people have often said, it's a kind of territorial because you felt suppressed. And I just am very proud. I'm proud of where I work in the hospital. I'm very proud of from the flats. I'm extremely proud of the, of the liberties of my family. And I just like to sing about the things I'm proud of. It's important, isn't it? Yeah, it is important. It's important. Like, uh, you know, I know anytime we talk, like the last time we spoke, I came away from the conversation. I often have a think back and, um, you know, there was something that came out of the conversation was learning to love yourself. You know, that's something I learned to do and where you are, who you're with, where you're from, you know, to have value on it and love it. You know, it's good. Yeah, like people around the liberties, you know, it's part of my identity. It's not who I am, but it's it's creating me. The people around here have been really good to me, you know, and it's 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 part of my personality. So I wear it, you know. There was a time where I was a little bit ashamed, you know, that I'm from the flats. I wear Air Max and I have a certain tone and I say words in a certain way. But now I just embody it. And it's just I don't care. It's and it's just who I am. It's important. Yeah, do you know, I, was, I I did a speaking gig and mental health thing in in America last year and. I, I know we've we've we're both from Ireland with different accents we're from different places but I got off the plane and you know the Americans were like oh my god your accent is beautiful you Irish guys say something and I was like good morning how are you and they were like oh my god say it again and then this lady says she said oh my god your accent is so beautiful and I said I'll tell you a funny thing about that accent she said what I said I didn't have one when I was on the plane I only got I only got one when I got, everyone thinks they have an everyone thinks they have no accent until you go somewhere else you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, guys, I've asked Enda to come on the show. Enda is, as I say, an incredible human being. He's the author of a book called I'm Fine. I've not read it yet. Uh, he's a motivational speaker. He's climbed mountains. He's run uh, nine marathons in eight days with a washing machine strapped to his back. He's battled with addiction, mental health advocate, struggled with his own mental health. Is there anything you don't do, Andy? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say we leave it there. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. <laughs> Good luck. And go Thank and have me dinner. <laughs> nah, yeah, that's, that's probably sums up me. Look, uh, you know, the, the most common thing I say to people is uh, I'm too much. And so what do you mean? I said, it, I, you know, I care too much. I worry too much. I probably eat too much. I, I gamble too much. For a long part of my life, I drank too much. Uh, you know, I, I have an alcohol addiction. Like I'm always wary when I hear people saying, you know, I used to have an alcohol problem. I have an addiction for life. It's me. Um, but, you know, like we said, start about loving the liberties and loving where you're from. I like I don't love being an alcoholic. You know, it was tough times and, and you know, coming off, it was even tougher. But um, it's certainly part of me. It it made it made me a better person. It made me a kinder husband. It made me a better dad. Um, it makes me a real mental health speaker because I'm not talking about something I've read in a book. I'm talking about something I've lived. You know, um, so yeah, it's 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 part of me, Matt. You know, um, I'm not embarrassed about it. like I used to be embarrassed telling people. It's funny, I, like I'm an assistant principal in a school still, and you know, kids are always amazed when I'm honest with them and tell them things like uh, I didn't learn to read and write till I was twelve because I had dyslexia, which in the 1980s, it was called stupid uh, or lazy fecker. And <laughs> I wasn't either, but I just I still like, oh, God, if you saw my handwriting, it's terrible. I don't know. I don't know if you, you can't. No, you won't make that out, but it's handwriting. I still can't write. But 
like it's a good theme, I suppose, for the rest of my life is when I came across a problem, I found a way around it, you know. So um, I love my technology and I'm a real nerd. But the real reason is because no one can read what I can write and I can't I still can't spell. But it didn't stop me being a teacher for 30 years, you know. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. And we have something uh, in common then. And uh, I too had difficulty with school, failed loads, my leave it. But my handwriting is shocking because lads used to say to me, who wrote your, your homework? Christy Brown. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I wrote that in my book. Uh, do you know what I'm just listening to? And you, I, I read the book, The Alchemist, just recently. And in what you were just speaking there, you had difficult times. You had the addiction, but you turned that lead into gold. You have used your, your poison. Uh, as into uh, turned it into your passion now it's brilliant so could you share with us a little bit about your life growing up as a child or you know life yeah so as a kid i suppose uh my parents grew up we grew up in mullingar and my parents moved to west wicklow um it's about 1972 and they bought a small shop you know in those shops where you couldn't touch anything you had to ask the the girl behind the counter for sweets yeah. or you know, everything was sealed off and I remember the first night we walked into the shop because I was fascinated by the sweets. And then we went into the door of the store and I said, I'm going to go see more sweets. And there's about 60 coffins stacked on top of each other because they sold, they were the undertaker, the shop, you know, the typical Irish traditional small shop. But my yeah. dad had this mad idea that there was a thing coming to Ireland called supermarkets. And he had, to, I remember him explaining this concept that you get all the food in one shop. And he built this supermarket and uh, ran it. And sure, that's where I grew up. So it was a, it was a pretty, a pretty, I suppose, idyllic childhood in loads of ways. Um, I'm not sure I fitted in too. And in that, like, you know, if you saw the little house in the prairie, if you remember the, the I can't remember their names now. Oh, God, they owned oh, the shop anyway. Yeah, the, the, not the Waltons, no. Little house in the prairie. There, were the, the, there was the, the, the spoiled kids that owned the shop. And I suppose that was a bit of my existence in that... Uh, it was a tough time, you know, being being the kid in a small village where your parents seemed to be mega rich and Ireland was falling apart with a recession, you know. Was but it? Um, in Dunlavin, it was called. It's about uh, 10 miles from Nace. Right. But um, I suppose, fast forward, I went to college and I had grown up in a small village where, you know, you didn't go to the pub, you didn't go out, you didn't, you know, you, everyone was well behaved, everyone knew everyone. And I hit college and Jesus, Matt, there was women uh, wall to wall, you could drink as much as you like, you could stay out as lit, and I went completely balubas. I lost the plot. Night one in college, I went out, and nine months later, I was still on the sesh. And um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't help that my parents uh, owned an off license, so that wasn't a great, that wasn't a great thing. So I was going back to college for the sesh with loads of booze, but um, I suppose like. I often tell people, you know, I wonder if I grew up in Afghanistan, would I still be an alcoholic? Um, you know, it's it's because in Ireland, like the thing about alcohol is, you know, the baby's, you know, the baby's born, we wet the baby's head, uh, the baby's first communion, right? Put the kids in the bouncy castle in the garden. Let's go and get hammered in the house. Um, confirmation. Let's repeat what we did for the conf first communion because it went so well. You know, the baby's 18, right? We'll bring you out for your first point. The baby's 21. Let's go and get hammered. Um, you know, you're getting married. Well, geez, we'll have to have a stag night. Let's get trashed. Um, you know, the baby, first baby is born and you're back to the start again. You know, we won the county final. Let's fill that cup, boys. We lost the county final. Fuck it. Let's go and get hammered. You know, uh, Jimmy died. I hated him. Are you going to the removal? I am. Yeah, there'd be a few pints in a sandwich, you know. So <laughs> in Ireland, in Ireland, alcohol permeates everything, you know, and like, don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm i like, geez, as an alcoholic, I'm the best person. If, I, if you have a party in your house, Matt, put me in charge of the bar because I pour measures that normal humans wouldn't dare to pour. You know, I'm not a, I don't object to people drinking and having fun. And it's part of very much culturally what we are. But for me, like I got, 
I just sank deeper and deeper and you know I, I, I did what I normally do I did too much of it you know and um, before I knew it I was drinking like I suppose I often tell people at my worst or best you know uh, I was drinking maybe three four bottles of whiskey a week um, my Friday night drink was usually a pint glass of vodka and like it's hard to imagine now but I, it got to a point, it was like drinking a glass of baby sham for most people, you know, I I usually would drink a bottle of cough syrup with the pint glass of vodka. And, you know, I know now, like, very lucky I didn't kill myself doing that. Um, but that was peppered with, you know, maybe five or six pints of cider during the week. You know, then the pretense at mealtime, I like a glass of wine. So that was four or five bottles of wine. You know, it was, it was getting up and up and up and up, you know. But, um... You know, people always think, I know, like watching your podcast and talking about addiction, you know, people like addiction and and looks different in different shapes. You know, like um, if you saw me in work, I look like this, you know, suited, booted, smiling, first in, last out, the happiest man in the world. Uh, but the truth is I was dying slow. I, like I, I, I describe it as slow motion suicide. Like I was actually poisoning myself slowly. And um, it would have got to a point where my... The alcohol and the depression would have caused me to take my life or my physical health. You know, your your liver, your stomach can't take that. You know, I was I was I was poisoning myself. But um, I, I thought it was tough. But, you know, <laughs> again, like I've heard loads of your guests talk and, and, and I've heard yourself talk about this. But um, the addiction is bad. But mother God, cold turkey, trying to get sober and fighting to get sober was for me anyway, personally, a thousand times worse. You know, it was just nightmare. And um, strangely, it's probably one of the things that keeps me safe. You know, my, my cold turkey was so bad. Like I didn't sleep for, I don't know, maybe two, three months. I was climbing the walls. I had lost the plot completely. It was paranoia, delusional, suicidal, depression. Um, I, I used to I used to walk around. This is an awful thing to say. You know, when someone takes a camera, a flash, a photograph at a wedding or something, and you see the little red dots in front of your eyes. I used to see my memorial card and I used to see my own funeral mass for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And um, I think the panic attacks, the night terrors, the cold sweats, it was a, it was a horrible, horrible. It's a time I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies. But, um, do you know, the funny thing is for anyone watching this who might be going through hell right now or if they have family going through hell, um, I couldn't have understood it till I got out the other side. But that hell is what keeps me safe. Um, I've had opportunities to drink. I've had, you know, I've had thoughts about drinking, but the thoughts of doing detox again frightens the Jesus out of me. I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't do it. That's Matt, you good. know, I think th I think this podcast is going to follow a very similar pattern. You know, my 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 friend who helped me co-write the book said someone asked him, "What's what's the process?" And he said, "He said I ask Enda one question. He talks for an hour and a half." <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. That just winds up and let you go. Come here, Andy. When was the, the finger on the pulse moment where you said to yourself, I have a problem here? Was there was there a specific road to Damascus moment where you said, you know what, this is bad. I need to get this shit sorted. Or was it just slow, uh, tapered into it? And it just... Do you know what? I love, For the sake of drama and life, I'd love to tell you, you know, I was on holidays in Morocco and this camel... I tried kissing them or, you know, I'd love to tell you something, something you know, like people always have that big moment. I was hit. Yeah, I was hit by lightning and I got gonorrhea from the camel or something. No, like it wasn't that like literally I played a tennis match late at night in one match and it was under lights and I was wired with adrenaline and I did what I normally do. Um, I came home and 
to sedate myself, I had a massive glass of brandy and milk, which was my favorite drink. And I remember years ago reading Brendan Bean used to drink brandy and milk. If for anyone who, who's still drinking, if they want to try it, it's it's like an extreme adult Bailey's. It's like the, the ultimate Bailey's. So I was I drinking a big, massive glass of this. But that night between the adrenaline from the sport and, you know, the exhaustion and then life issues that I wasn't dealing with and then alcohol, I had a terrible night's sleep. And I woke up the next morning and, and I, you know, I, I knew this this is not sustainable. And I just said to my wife, I said, you know what, I'm done. And um, she used that tone of voice. Anyone who has a partner in their life will know. She used this tone of voice. You know, the way dogs Matt, can only hear like a, a special whistle and we can't hear anything. Married men or people in relationships can hear this special tone. So my wife said, that's great, love. Are you? Now, what she really meant was. Not in a million light years could you give up alcohol. It's part of everything that you do. And I, I said, what do you mean by that? She said, nothing. And I said, I know what you meant by that. And I suppose it's a recurring theme in my life. Someone challenges me, says, I bet you couldn't do that. I bet you couldn't run up Kilimanjaro with a washing machine on your back. And away I go. Or I bet you couldn't run the length of Ireland. I bet you couldn't do nine marathons in eight days with a washing machine. And I said, watch me. And, you know, I love to tell you it was a big profound moment, but... That's that was the start of it. Um, and that was the 10th of November, 14 years ago, 10 o'clock. And um, I haven't had a drink since, you know, but yeah. it, it's it's mad. It doesn't like it. It's do you know, if you ever this sounds enough, I hope people aren't having their dinner watching this. But do you know if you have a really bad diarrhea? Like, I mean, the, the absolute glow in the dark Chernobyl radioactive diarrhea and you're dying. Right. True. You have a needle kind of thing. Yeah. 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 But. At your worst, you can console yourself and say, Do you know what, this will be over in a day. You know, I'll take my tablet or I'll take my... And what kills me about being an alcoholic, I, I suppose one of the things I find hardest about it is that um, this is me forever. You know, I'll yeah. fight this battle till the last day. And um, that annoys me that I can't just shake it off, you know. Yeah, I like that with mental health. Yeah, it's hard. Like, And you know, we're talking about, you know, going, having dips and troughs, peaks and troughs in your happiness. I was... Um, it's a mad story. The latest I came to drinking was about, I don't know, about a year and a half ago. I was, um, I got invited as a speaker to go to London to speak to TripAdvisor to their world sales team. And I was like, oh, Jesus, this is it. I have arrived, you know. And I went to the airport. They sent a car to the airport. Do you know, do you know the, the queen? Uh, you know, when she's waving out the window of the car, I, I was driving out of the airport and I was like, the feck, look at me. You know, this is brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I went to this hotel and it like it looked like Downton Abbey and it, geez, it was fantastic, you know. So I went down anyway, did the gig. And then um, when I got back to Ireland the next day, my wife said, how'd you get on? And I said, good, good. And she said, tell the truth. She said, you look wrecked. What's wrong? And I said, I didn't sleep the whole night. I've been over in London. And she said, what, what, what do you mean you didn't sleep all night? And I said, I was, I was in the hotel room and all I kept thinking was, do you know what, go down to the bar, get yourself a bottle of brandy, go back up, hop in the bath. You, you know, nobody will know you're in England. You don't know anyone. And uh, she said, did you? And I said, no. I said, but I spent the entire night walking up and down that hotel room. It was like my skin was being peeled off me. And um, I said it was the hardest, hardest battle, you know. And I was talking to a friend of mine who works as an addiction counselor. And he, he, he's a very interesting guy. He was saying to me that sometimes people assume that if you have an addiction, that you break out at a bad moment, you know, when your dog dies or, you know, someone ha leaves you or something terrible happens, you lose your job. He said quite a lot of times too, the way, whatever way we're wired, he said, your brain was thinking, well done. And, uh, you know, you're done something great. You're making progress. And then yeah. there's a bit of you clicks in and says, you deserve a treat. You know?
I can really resonate with that. I have a drag now coming up to a year. You know, I've had my problems with, with drink and drugs. Uh, I could have went to addiction for drugs, drinks, carbs, phones. I've, I've been addicted personality. <laughs> uh, fucking all sorts. Uh, Harry Bow, Eminem. <laughs> but, but I was uh, I was having a great time there a couple of months ago. And I remember saying, I'm a great form, I'd love a point. Or like when I'm coming out, at the moment I struggle with anxiety and Scott Deeve and I'm coming out of a little bit of off and said, but you know what, I'll celebrate, I'll have a point. And yeah. I can resonate with you. It's you want to reward yourself, is there? Actually, we'll we'll bump up the dopamine, we'll bump up the serotonin. Yeah, yeah. I wrote I wrote a piece, I do a piece on Mondays for Kilkenny Radio called Motivation Inspiration. And I I wrote a piece this morning. I'm interested to see will they play it now because it's going to be a bit controversial. Because I started off at the beginning. I said, like this is this is Monday, you know, traditional local radio. And I I said, uh, does anyone want any drugs? Because I've got, <laughs> I've got good drugs, and I have this like creepy music playing as the intro. But the drugs I'm offering are oxytocin, serotonin, you know, and and, and then they explain to people how you get these good drugs that make us feel happy, you know. Um, so yeah, so I'm wondering will they play it, but. Um, no, something you said, the addictive nature of it, like I, I, I get to speak to a lot of people like you, Matt, and, and, and like myself, people who have addiction or people who speak about mental health. And, you know, I see so many parallels in our lives and so many similarities, but like for what it's worth, like I had to learn to love me and not be embarrassed by me. Like, OK, I'm bald. So what? You know, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. It's the hormones I have. You know, it's the genetics I have. I'm an alcoholic. My dad was clever not to drink. If he had drank, I think we would have been I would have been the fifth in a row in our family to be an alcoholic. You know, it's there's an element of society, but there's an element too. I was programmed for it. But like what I've learned is, you know, you were saying that you could. <laughs> it's a great line, actually. I'm going to steal that. I could get addicted to Harry Bows. Um, but like, <laughs> like the thing about addiction is it doesn't always have to be bad. You know, like I'm addicted to um uh, making people happy i'm addicted to laughter i'm addicted to you know getting better as a speaker and i want to speak on bigger stages and you know i i became addicted to the process of of writing the book and getting the book published i became like i'm addicted to getting physically stronger i'm addicted to learning i'm addicted to you know it's pathetic i hope no one's going to puke now on this but i'm I'm ridiculously in love with my wife after 30 years. I'm addicted to her. I'm addicted to my kids, you know, so it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, the way, um, what's his name? You know, the way, well, Superman, I don't rate that highly. Like anyone who wears their jocks on the outside, he's like, you know, you can fly and all that, but like the jocks outside is a mistake, right? But you know the way most of these superpowers, they all have something like Spider-Man was bitten by the spider or Superman, you know, they all have some special power, but like, it's funny thing is what was killing me, is now making me a living and making me happy, you know. Yeah, of course. That is, it's, it's that's the alchemist turning lead into gold. What? Who is your superhero then? If you're not Superman, Superman or something? <laughs> uh, who Who are my heroes? Who inspires who me? Who's your superhero? You don't like Superman? Who was? was uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know what? I I go to every single Marvel movie with the wife and the kids, and I'm going to be honest. I fall sound asleep every single time. I have a massive plate of uh, probably nachos and cheese, and then I s snore like a pig. And they all say when we come out, "What do you think of that, Dad?" And I say, "Yeah, that one wasn't bad." And then they all burst out laughing because they know I've been asleep the whole way through the movie. You know, <laughs> we all yeah, we'll all need someone to inspire us. You know, like um. <laughs> Absolutely. I wrote about it in the book, but one, one of the people I didn't realize that inspired me was my mother. Um, you know, I'll tell you a great story about her. She had a friend and uh, her friend got breast cancer and died. And uh, she died in um, NACE Regional Hospital 
But someone in the bed on the left of her was having their tonsils out and someone on the right was, I don't know, having their appendix out. And here was my mom's friend, Nora, in the bed in the middle and her family had to say goodbye to her because there was no hospice in Kildare, you know, and there was no, you know, it was it was no way to, to pass away or, you know, there was no dignity, you know, a bit of a curtain and everyone listening to you crying or saying, you know, your last words. So um, my mother came out and she said after the funeral, she said, right, I'm doing something about that. And um, in the 1980s, I don't know, that she raised three or four million points and she bought the old jockey hospital on the Curra in Kildare and she managed to open um, Kildare's first hospice uh, just on the strength of, you know, she saw something that was wrong and she said she's going to do something about it. So um, and ironic, ironically, she died from breast cancer and ironically, she was too sick for us to get her back to to the hospice in Kildare because she would have loved that for her last few days. But um I think that that was a major inspiration for me, you know, and I think what it dawned on me too, Matt, was like you could sit at home feeling sorry for yourself. But like I like I found one of the best ways for me to look after my anxiety and my depression and my stress or my sadness or my alcoholism. And the best therapy for me is is to help other people. You know, it, it really makes me feel good about myself. It really makes me feel I'm making a difference. It gives me energy and um it's a good thing, you know, like the, I should say, look, in case anyone's watching this and what's the story with the washing machine, the washing machine was a simple mental health message. It was don't carry something stupid around, you know, like that pencil is not very heavy. Right. But it's not the weight of the pencil. It's how long you hold it. So if you hold your arm out and hold that pencil for 10 minutes, 10 minutes from now, that pencil will kill your arm. And I was suicidal, didn't attempt suicide. And but the reason I was in such a bad place is I was holding problems. I was I wasn't asking for help. So my mental health message carrying my washing machine around the country and Africa was don't carry something stupid, ask for help. And I suppose the second message, too, was to say to people that, um, you know, the guy who you think is fine, the guy who's smiling, uh, the guy who like like if you if you you know, I, I think when I went public first about my depression and alcoholism, I had loads of colleagues and work. I remember the first public event I spoke and I had all these friends and came up and made like, Jesus, and we didn't know. We are so sorry. We could like, oh my God, we feel terrible. We didn't help you. And I said, you'd never have known. You know, the first thing you would have heard was, Jesus, did you hear the terrible news about Enda? You know, his wife found him or something like that. Something, you know, yeah. we've all heard that story a million times in Ireland. And I said, I wouldn't have said anything, you know, and um, like if, if people Google it afterwards, if you have time, go and have a look at the, the cover of the book because the title is I'm Fine. But the picture underneath is me screaming because that's the reality for a lot of people with their mental health. And and back to the, you know, who's your hero? Who inspires you? Like, I know I can't stop suicide in Ireland. I can't. I can certainly change the conversation around mental health. You know, one of the lovely things when people hear me speak at events, I love when they come up to me and they go, you know, I've never laughed as much about suicide in my life. And, I, and even saying that you can see them going, this isn't right, you know, because people like the washing machine this mad guy running up a mountain with a washing machine in his back it gives people permission to laugh it's a real conversation opener and i think you know around our own mental health and our stigma like we're not great at ireland sometimes like we're great jokers but sometimes we don't talk about the important things you know like I, are emotions we don't talk feelings or emotions no, you know no, oh. no. And like i i had prostate surgery during the year and uh, I'm having great crack doing this, man. I'm gonna. I won't do it to you now. Well, you you can do answer in your head. But I've asked every man I've met for the last year, did they have a prostate? And they all go, yeah. And I go, what's it do? Ninety nine point nine percent of men go half in a clue. And I think it sums up mental. Not 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 mental health, but health in Ireland. That 
we all have this thing, you know, and we have no clue what it does and what would happen if we lost it or if it didn't work or if, you know, God forbid it was cancerous, you know. But um, I'm happy to to for people to talk about it. Like, you know, in Ireland pre-COVID, we were losing eight young people, predominantly young people and predominantly young men. We were losing eight a week to suicide, you know, and that's going to be the same number or much bigger after COVID. And nobody was talking about it. And like I, I my gut feeling was, you know, I, I, I said to someone in an interview, I said, you know, I don't think I can change it or stop it. But I think this, that, you know, when I have grandchildren in the future and they say, granddad, you know, in 2017 or 18, when all those people were dying, why did nobody stand up and say this is wrong? Like, why did nobody do something? And I, I want to be able to turn to my grandkids and say, well, granny and myself went to Africa and we ran up the tallest mountain in the world with a wash machine. Yeah. Can, we, can we talk a bit about that? How did that come about? Like, I'm going to decide to strap a washing machine to be back, run up a mountain or do eight marathons or nine marathons in eight days. Where did that come out of? Well, loads, loads of things in life, you know, people sometimes think, you know, people like me or people like you with this master plan. Like, a lot of things in my life happen completely by accident. Yeah. Um, so I had done a couple of Ironman events and um, when I did the Ironman event, the um, I suppose Ironman's motto is anything is possible. And for me, it certainly unleashed that anything is possible. And, uh, you know, I had gone from running a marathon to running a marathon in about five hours. And now I was able to do what swim for an hour and a half, cycle for six hours and run a marathon in 4.45. So suddenly I realized, you know what, I'm really limiting myself here. And so I did Ironman UK. That was about 16 hours, 19 minutes. Um, if anyone's in, if, if loads of your, your followers are probably in the Dublin area, but so if you can imagine going to your local swimming pool in Dublin, swimming 200 lengths, then cycling from that swimming pool to Cork Airport. And when you get to Cork Airport, the first thing you do is run a marathon. So I did the first one in 16 hours, I think 19 minutes. And then I went back and did a UK one in 13 hours. But it began a process where I realized that the limits in my life were all in my head. They were all things that I had put, you know, limits that I had put in place. And um, my wife said to me, you know, we're sitting in Costa one and she goes, are you going to do another Ironman? And I said, no, nah, they're too expensive and it's too much time. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, um, I don't know. I said, I might run from Belfast to Waterford. And uh, I love Irish women because they're brilliant. And she just looked at me and she goes, is that all? She was only messing. She's that all. <laughs> <laughs> and Irish men are equally as funny because I just turned around and said, well, I don't know. I said, sure, in that case, I'll carry a washing machine. And she said, go on. And I said, I will. And nine months later, I walked out of the Europa Hotel in Belfast with a washing machine on my back. And I suppose the the mental health message of it really worked in that it got huge media attention. For You know, we raised a lot of money, a couple of hundred thousand euro. And um, I suppose we came back from Belfast to Waterford. It was a massive success. But, you know, we had... I suppose, I don't know, was it about a year and a half afterwards? We had a charity event. We were climbing Schlieffnamon in Tipperary with the washing machine. And um, afterwards, we went to the pub, you know, for the big chicken curry and, and a few pints. And we we're sitting in the pub and someone said, um, what's the tallest mountain in the world? And someone said, Mount Everest. And someone said, I bet, said to me, of all people, said, I bet you couldn't carry the washing machine up at Mount Everest. And I was sitting there. I could feel my wife going, no, no, no. Oh, here we go. And then. Someone else looked up and they said, actually, it's not the tallest mountain in the world. And they had this debate and they said, Kilimanjaro is the tallest freestanding mountain. Mount Everest is the tallest, but it has to get help to stand up. Tanzania, Kilimanjaro is the highest. And um, 
about a year and a half later, 14, 16 hours training a week, um, most Saturdays and Sundays, six to 10 hours uphill with 40 kilos in a rucksack on your back. Uh, got off a bus in Tanzania and um, you know the way, like everyone around the world, Matt has heard about Irish people. They know we're a bit different, a bit funny and we're interesting and they like us. <laughs> if, you saw the, if you saw the face of the Tanzanians when this Irish fella gets off a bus with a washing machine on his back, and uh, he was like, they were like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> did you bring the, did you bring the washing machine with you? No, oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I used to tell. Power City over there now. No, no, no. Well, I used to tell, I used to brag and tell people that I had the same sponsor as Lionel Messi, that we both worked for Bico. So Barcelona at the time, was, I think they're still sponsored by Beko or Bico and Bico washing machines were kind enough to sponsor my washing machine. So I started off with a Normandy and then I went went up to a Beko and I, I'm hoping for the Great Wall of China maybe in a couple of years time and hope we get an old Sony or a Zanussi then, you know, I'm getting posh. <laughs> you got to do it again. Well, I'd love to, do you know what? Um, anything that squeezed me, challenged me or pressured me has made the biggest difference in life, you know, um, in a positive way, you know, like there's pressure always in our life. There's you stress and there's stress. So regular stress makes us anxious, depressed, stops us sleeping, affects our appetite. But you stress, I suppose, really, you know, it's good stress that allows us to perform. And, you know, I met people I traveled places, I experienced things, I made friendships. Like there are people who were on the, who climbed Kilimanjaro with me in that washing machine that I speak to every day of the week, two years later, that they're, they're as close as family. You know, um, like of the people that went with us, it was life changing. Like people came back and changed their job. People ran for politics, you know, ran in elections. Um, people changed relationships. People changed total direction in their life because, you know, sometimes you get great clarity, you know, we were going uphill for eight days, started off at, I don't know, plus 30 degrees in the jungle, ended up at minus 20 on top of a mountain, three days walk above the clouds. You know, you, it was a, it was an experience that, you know, it's, it's so hard to, to, to imagine, you know, I was, I was on the first two days I got altitude sickness. I knew I was in real trouble, man. And I wouldn't recommend this, but puked all over my wife and I half passed out on the ground, but I remember I was lying on the ground and I was like, oh, Jesus, I've made a huge mistake here. This is terrible. I, like, I'm not going to get to the top of this mountain or anywhere near it. But um, <laughs> what happened was uh, one of the Tanzanians walked past and uh, he went, Akuna Matata. And uh, apologies to anyone who speaks uh, Swahili. But I thought I was about to tell this dude where he could stick the Lion King. You know, I, I, like I was like. <laughs> No, I, I can't list this, but apparently I didn't realize, but the Lion King is written in Swahili and Akuna Matata was, don't worry, everything will be OK. You know, uh, you know, keep going, just just push through, you'll get through. And um, Asher, it was just it was magic. And and the people that we met, like the Africans, like I, w I was walking along one day and one of my guides was with me and, you know, it was it was brilliant. We had a full medical team and doctor and everything. But one of the guides was walking along and I, I sort of looked at my hand like that and I said, Jesus, look at that. And my fingernails were completely, you know, like really manky, you know, like cheesy, greeny, blacky ooze, you know. And I said, oh, my God, what the hell is on, what the hell is on my fingernails? And um, this guy was taking care of me, Emmanuel. He took my hand. He looked at it like that. And he goes, uh, he said, that's adventure. You know, <laughs> just <laughs> to the point. Like and he had like here were we with the Westerners with all our fancy equipment struggling to get up this mountain they were literally running up and down the mountain i said to him one day i said how many times have you climbed the mountain and he said 10 times this year and i was like holy god how could you do this like 
10 times in a year. I said, how, how, is, it, how is it possible? And uh, again, just simple clarity in life. He said, because I love my children. No, no, no bullshit, no beating around the bush. That's why he was climbing the mountain, you know. Oh, beautiful. Come here, you uh, unhuge you into spirituality and synchronicity. You told me a beautiful story there when we had the chats on Sunday about uh, that famous uh, film actor. Could you share that story with us? <laughs> I don't want to share it because people are going to go, nah, that never happened. That never I happened. Don't, but I don't care. We were coming down off Kilimanjaro and sure, I had the usual. My wife was, was ever beside me. She said, uh, how bad are you? And I was I was mashed, like the feet were mashed. My head was mashed. And it had been a traumatic experience, like someone had died on the mountain behind us that night. Um, lovely girl from Cork, a crossfitter. And, you know, it's a dangerous place and altitude is dangerous, you know, but it was coming down anyway. And um, my wife said, how tired are you? And I said, I'm whacked, really whacked. She said, how whacked is whacked? And I said, oh, I'm seeing stuff. And she said, what stuff? And I said, oh, I laughed and I said, Indiana Jones. So she sort of laughed and I laughed and we thought nothing of it. And there was a couple in front of us and they kept walking and walking and walking. And we got to the very end off the mountain down to the car park. And um, this fellow is getting on, into his car and his bus with his wife. And I just walked up, walking past him, you know. And um, I just said, good morning. This guy goes, hi, good morning. And uh, <laughs> it was Indiana Jones. It was Harrison Ford and his wife. <laughs> No way. <laughs> on the mountain, on the same day. Now, I, I, I wasn't quick enough to take photographs. Some of the other crew got uh, photographs of, of Harrison there. But what I was delighted was that he looked like the back of a bus. Because, you know, like every Christmas you see him on telly and he's gorgeous. And my wife thinks he's gorgeous. Most women probably think he's gorgeous. But um, that, that I don't know, was it 30 years ago that was filmed? So he's not quite as gorgeous now, you know. like He's like the rest of us, Matt. He's gone downhill. And but, I wouldn't uh, say we're gorgeous. We're like two boy next door. When they're going to go <laughs> Well, I, I like to think I've done the aging now. This is me for the next 20 years. I'm not going any, you know, I can't lose any more hair. I can't go any grayer. So I'm going to be like this, you know. But um, that was magic, you know. It was magic experience. And, you know, I, I, there's, 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 um, I'd love to share a story with you. When we, when we got to, uh, we got to Canada, we got to Kilimanjaro Airport and we were coming back and I saw this girl, this African girl, and she was walking around the airport and I could see her looking up at the monitor and she, I just instinctively knew she didn't know what she was at, you know. So I went over to her and I said, are you OK? And her English was pretty good. And she explained that she was getting a flight, but she wasn't sure what the gate, what does a gate mean? And I was like, oh, so I, I said, gates are where you go onto the plane. And she said, it's my first time in a plane. And I said, oh, God, you love it, you know. So we got on the plane and I was sitting behind her and we flew from Tanzania to uh, Ethiopia to get the flight back to Ireland. And, you know, the little screen with the, where it shows the route of your flight yeah. For an hour and a half, she watched the little plane, and like, and she was amazed, you know. But um, so when we got in the airport, we ended up sitting in a lounge together, and um, this kid told me that she was from a small village in the middle of Tanzania, and she'd won a scholarship to study medicine in Los Angeles. She'd never been on a plane before. She'd never been away from home before, you know. And there was a gang. All our crew were there, about thirty Irish, you know. And I, I, I love this. You know, you're talking about meeting people for a reason at the right time and the right people. Yeah. Without a single word of plan or cooperation, every single Irish person took every single dollar they had on them and gave it to this kid going to Africa, going to Los Angeles. So she got money after money after money. And people like gave her iPods and gave her batteries and gave her phone cards. And and she took all this and she was, you know, like totally overcome. And she was, thank you, thank you. And she said, where are we from? With Ireland. She'd never even heard of Ireland. You know, her first time she heard of Ireland were these people giving her stuff. And 
she went off to LA and, you know, we were we were talking about ourselves and saying, she's, she's going to get some shock when she arrives in LA, you know, not, I hope she's not going to assume that everyone in the world is going to want to lift her and care for her. But, um, like the chances of us meeting her on that day, on that flight, just, you know, just bloody brilliant, you know, just magical, you know. And that's one thing about Irish people, isn't it? We are terribly, terribly generous and we love to look after people if they're down and, you know, in the, yeah. in the, in the dumps or they're not yeah. having good luck. We'll, we'll, we'll put a hand in our pocket or we'll put an arm around them. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is a weird thing to say. So when we trained for Kilimanjaro for a year in harsh, harsh conditions in the mountains in Ireland. And when we got to Africa, like it was eight days uphill every night, sleeping on a slope every night, you know, very little oxygen. It was tough, tough. And one of the things I remarked about the Irish people who were with us was the more pressure they were under, the more they were squeezed, the harder it got for them. Their first reaction every single time was to reach out to the person to the left or right of them. So they bottled up their own anxieties, their own fears, their own doubts, their own pain. And they ma it manifests itself in care for people around them. And it's not a, would that be a brilliant society, you know, if we could have more of that, that, you know, that our first instinct is to help other people, you know? Yeah, well, you just said it earlier uh, about you love helping other people, you know, and I truly believe when you're kind, two people receive, when you do charity, two people receive, like when you teach, two people learn. And it's what we do. And it's I think everyone has that innate ability if they just tapped into and listened to their heart. And that's what pain and hurt and uh, addiction and trauma has done for you. It's open your heart. As Rumi says, it's only when we uh, open the corns, we can see the cracks. It allows the light in, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. And, you know, I'd, when I put up on social media that I was looking for people to come to Africa, like, we, we did a very, I just was a very unusual thing, a hard thing. So, you know, sometimes people fundraise that cover their costs for the trip. So I felt I didn't want people fundraising for a holiday. So I said, anyone who comes has to pay, I it was nearly four grand. You have to save up your own money to pay for everything yourself. And the other thing I did, Matt, was I said, I asked everyone coming to raise 4,000 euro for a mental health charity. Right. But the funny thing is when they rang me, you know, I never asked, I, I, I explained to people coming that the average cost of treatment for someone in Ireland is somewhere around 800 to 1,000 euro. So when people rang me and asked me what was involved, I never asked them to raise 4,000 euro. I asked them to, to help me save four people's lives. And that was a total privilege. Um, I think if I'd asked people to raise 4,000, that sounds like, you know, jerseys for the football club or it's a pain in the ass. It's something you don't want to be doing. But, you know, making a difference to help other people like m almost nobody who came hit 4,000. You know, they were all six, seven, 8,000 euro raised because they knew what they were doing was was really important, you know? And I, it's funny too, I started off thinking it was about raising money. And to be honest, the money was really wasn't the issue. The issue was those people who came with me on both adventures went out to their communities. They talked about depression. They talked about anxiety, the da damage and danger of alcoholism, drug addiction. They talked about suicide in their communities and they made a difference. That's that, a ripple that, effect. It's the ripple yeah. effect, you know, one on to do and a three. And that's what yeah. kindness does. It's contagious. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I did a video there at the start of lockdown talking people like were freaking out about COVID and I was freaking out myself. And then it, I sort of reminded myself that happiness is contagious and so is care and so is laughter. You know, do you ever watch a movie on your own and, and you go, that's all right. Like, you know, smiley, but it wasn't funny. Watch the same movie in the cinema. And, you know, some fella in front of you has a funny laugh and some woman behind you has a squeaky laugh or a funny laugh. And 
next thing you're laughing at them, they hear you laughing, they're laughing at you laughing at them, you're laughing at the movie yeah. together. And there is a contagion, but like... Emotions the, are contagious, like stress, like you, somebody's stressed or anxious in a house or there's a gang of people and a few get stressed, yeah. it ripples around and the whole thing is like, what we worry about? I don't know, they're worried, so I'm fucking worried. Yeah, yeah. I heard... Um, I heard Bob, Bob Carley speaks about, uh, I think he's involved with uh, suicide or survive. And I heard him speak. He was talking one day at a conference we were at and he said a great thing. He was saying, you know, her natural instinct sometimes, particularly with multi social media is to worry. Like he said, you know, he's having a breakfast and he sees on the news, the yen has gone down 2%. And he said his natural instinct go, Jesus, mother Christ, the, the yen has gone down. And then he realizes he doesn't know how much it's worth. He doesn't have any. He doesn't spend any. You know, <laughs> five thousand people killed in an in a, an avalanche, you know, in in Chile, and it's terrible news. But there's a bit of us goes, "Jesus, I better be careful today going to work." You know, yeah, the, it, it, triggers, it triggers that negative bias in us. You know, it triggers like that's why papers, the media sell, you know, news sells because it works off that fear that uh, fight or flight. You know, we can keep people on edge, and that's why yeah. uh, the pandemic is having such an effect. We're all on. High up to our nellies and cortisol. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I wrote a piece, and and um, it'll be in the Irish Independent next Monday. They do a health and lifestyle thing. So I wrote a piece about exactly that. About you know that you can choose happiness, you can choose positivity, you can choose to do good things. Like we can't stop COVID, and you, like it's a horrible, terrible, scary time, and people have lost jobs, and people have lost family and friends and died. You know, it's been it. You know, it's a, it's it's been the hardest, hardest time. But, um. For me personally, loads of good things came out of it, you know, like I ate great food and I spent loads of time with me, my grown up kids. I spent time with them. I'd never have had. Um, I went back to college and learned stuff I'd never have learned. Um, like I met people I would never have met, you know, um, yeah. like you're like and I, I was saying to you, like when we were chatting before that I lost that fear. Just just give it a lash. You know, I'd, I had listened to some of the, the stuff you'd been putting out and I said, geez, that's that fella sounds interesting. I just said. Say, say hello, send them a message, get chat, make 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 an effort. So there's loads of good things co- can come out of it, you know. But you're right, it's easy to fall into the trap where, you know, you focus on the negative, you focus on the doom and gloom, and that's what you get then, you know. It becomes yeah. your norm. Myself and Andy made a conscious decision when this, they started the lockdown, the force, and we said, you know what, we're going to show up. Because, like, I've had mental health difficulties all my life with the drink and the drugs, and, and I've had similar situation similar to COVID fear not knowing what the next day is going to do but I was good I just said you know I'm going to feel okay and we just showed up we made videos we made loads of content we supported people and you know it was a conscious choice it's either you know choose fear or choose love and we stepped in and some days I didn't want to some days are really difficult but it was a choice of making love being the the option not rather than fear and worry you know and sometimes I've done the work so it's a little bit easier for me but it's only when we look back we can join the dots and it's only when you see how far you come you can see how resilient you are and people will learn from this yeah I think they will I think like I think a lot of people experienced you know people who really didn't maybe get mental health issues I think a lot of people suddenly experienced extreme anxiety and background fear and you know permanent exhaustion not knowing why you're tired the whole time or not knowing you know, that that if anyone who's familiar with depression or anxiety, you know, like I'm knackered, I have to go to bed. You go to bed, I can't sleep. I'll get up, I'll do something. I'm knackered, I'll go back to bed, I can't sleep. And then yeah. the next day your head is fried and, you know, someone can say to you, how are you? And that exhausted part of your brain that's vulnerable and broken says, what, like, what, what do they mean by that? What, what, did you hear the Tony's? Like, 
And the next thing is, you know, four days later, you're still playing it back, you know, and that's just because it's because you're broken, because you're stressed and you're tired, you know. Yeah. What was the process uh, of writing the book like for you? Uh, when did that kick off? You know, tell me about that. Yeah. So my my I, my friend of mine helped me write Dermot Keys. He's a journalist and um, brilliant guy. But when I did the last part of the marathon, ninth marathon, walked into Waterford, he was one of the journalists who turned up and he took some photos and did an interview and he'd never written a book. And when I asked him, would he help me? He was like, I've never written a book. And I said, I don't care. And he said, what, why me? And I said, because you understand my story. We clicked. I just, you know, you, you just have an yeah. energy, a synergy between someone. So the deal was for a year, I met him on a Wednesday morning at eight o'clock and um, he asked the question and I'd yap away. And I have to say, sometimes, you know, when we talked about great times and funny times and some of the stories I've shared with you today, you know, I was flying for the whole day. I was on the tip of my toes laughing and people said, she's in great form today. But other times when we talked about, you know, the pain of addiction or trying to get sober or, you know, the like we, we, we did a chapter on my mother. Um, those days are hard, you know, like, I mean, part of what I do is tell people my story. Um, but being honest, it hurts sometimes, you know, like if you if you pull the scab off your knee, it's going to bleed. It's going to hurt. Um some days the scab just comes away and it's grand and you can move on with the day. Some days you're reliving it, you're revisiting it. It's tiring. It's it's stressful. It's it makes me sad. You know, like um, I enjoy I'm enjoying our chat, but I I know for a fact when this is over I will be absolutely wiped. Uh, you know, and it's not unusual when I finish a podcast, particularly for talking about mental health or personal stuff. Is it's not unusual to have a good cry when we finish. That it's you know it's 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 raw, but. Um, the writing the process, you know, it was great. Um, if you ask me to write down 10 things, Matt, if anyone's thinking about writing a book about their story or um, if you ask me to write down 10, if I made a list of 10 things I'd like to get from the book, what I actually got from the book in the end, none of those 10 was on the list. You know, it's crazy. Like I just and I'd say to people, like, open your mind and open your heart to new experiences, new people and a new journey, because um, like I say, I've met people, I've done things that I couldn't ever have imagined that life would put in front of me, you know, and um, it's been great. It's been really, really great. You know, I used to start off thinking I'd change the car, uh, you know, massive sales. And then I, I realized as we go through the process, I'd be lucky if I changed the back wheels on the car, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, I get most of my books away. I just, I just, I like you, uh, and uh, I just love giving things to people. I like being of service. I want people, you know, here. If this makes you happy, is this going to bring love and kindness into your heart? Hooking, have that. Get it into you. You know, yeah. uh, nourish on that. You know, uh, sales yeah. is not really important to me or money. Love and kindness, no. like. Well, it's, it, you know, I was. I spoke at a conference. The Kildare County Council had me come and speak. They had a mental health week and they had me as their keynote speaker. It was brilliant. And, um, you know, it went down so well. They actually did it for, for a, a, a corporate body, did a brilliant thing. They had everyone on the county council come to hear me speak about how to look after your mental health. And I literally the whole staff from the street sweepers right up to the, you know, the top CEOs in the, co in, in the corporation. But, um, do you know, there was I met a, I met a woman at one of the one of the the big presentations. This lady said to me, um, she heard me speak. She came up at the end. She said, look, I was having a terrible day. She said, I just want to thank you for the energy and the positivity. And I said, oh, you're welcome, you know. And uh, she she said to me, you know, we're, we're doing IVF at home at the moment. And we've I don't know how she done it two or three times and was getting nowhere. And she said, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to bring this energy home. I'm going to tell my husband. We're going to the credit union. We're going again. And I was like, oh, you know, a bit awkward. I was like, oh, thanks. You know. 
But um, fast forward a few months and I got this email and uh, there was no text in and um, opened this email and I recognized the address from this particular department. And here's a picture of this woman sitting with a newborn baby. Right now, I'm not saying I have the power to impregnate people with podcasts or, you know, if any, <laughs> anyone's listening to this, you're completely safe. Right. But isn't it magic that you could give someone hope and energy and that that could be literally turn into a person. I like I, I, I still look at that picture and go, oh, my God, what a day to think that you you touched someone's life like that or someone heard you. And it's magic. Like, you know, it's really, really great. You know, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful story. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Was the kid was the kid called Enda? No, Jesus, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> that's where the story stopped. That's where the story stopped. But, you know, you know, you're saying about choice, Matt, like I had um. Did you ever sit in the train and put something on your bag, or put something on the chair so that nobody could sit beside you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Or did you ever put headphones in with you no battery? You know, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're you're letting on your talkness. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll see you Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't want to talk to someone. Um, usually because it's some weirdo who's going to sit and talk to you for too long. So I'm the weirdo who talks to you for too long. So um, I, I, <laughs> this, I promise you, it's my last story. So I, I was flying. Oh, it's good. It's a good while ago. I was flying to Austria and I was going to Vienna and um, sat beside this man and his wife on the plane. He was in the middle seat and uh, he had, his arm was sort of like squinched up, you know, like if you had a, a burn or a scar. Yeah. And of course, I couldn't help myself. I can't stay quiet for 10 seconds. I said to this lad, I said, geez, that's that's a rough scar. What happened to your arm? And um, your man just said to me, we started chatting and he told me that uh, he was a concentration camp survivor and it wasn't a scar on his arm. The scar on his arm, he explained to me, was that he had come out of Auschwitz and that when the Na when the Nazis were captured and the camp was liberated, I think by the Russians, he um, he took a knife and he cut off the SS number that was on his arm. Right. And I was sitting there going, oh, Jesus, I've opened a can of worms. Like, And I said to him, look, you don't. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, to be intrusive. And. He said, no, no. He said, look, I made a choice. He said, I'd rather scar my scar than their number of hate because they thought I was, you know, an object. And this man told me about, you know, he'd gone to America and he had, you know, got married. He actually married a woman that was she had been a child in Auschwitz as well. And he had a kids that grew up Americans. He had his own business. He was a successful man. And here he was at the end of his life going back to Austria to visit his hometown since the war. First time since the war, you know. And, you know, you were saying there about we can choose to do what we want to do in our lives. So he told me all this stuff and I was like, oh, my God, like, how lucky am I to sit beside you today? You know, and um, I said to him, I'm amazed that you went, you have such a positive attitude and you're so happy and you have no, he had no hate, you no malice in him, you know. And um, like, uh, it's a line I often use when I'm talking to people. But like he he, he said this, thing, he said, he said, I, we're masters of our own destiny. I chose I chose happiness. I chose a life to be full of happiness. And like, like I can remember walking through Vienna airport and being like, like someone hit me over the head. Like what an amazing moment. I chose happiness. I choose like bad things that happened to him in his life. Terrible things that happened that most of us can only imagine in movies. You know, this man had lived it, but he was like, no, I, I chose a different way. I chose happiness, you know, brilliant. brilliant. Really brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what's your why in life? What's my why? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Do you know, sometimes people think when you're in the public eye, like as a speaker or, you know, when you talk about issues, people think you've everything figured out. 
you know, your man's on the ball. He knows what he's at. He's a motivational speaker. Like, they think when you're a motivational speaker, that you get out of bed every morning, you go, let's do this, man. You know, like, Kelly, we're pumped. And yeah, know, people, yeah, they think, oh, you go to the gym. It's so easy every day, you know. Like, uh, I have days where I'm, I'm sitting in the car park outside the gym going, oh, my God, I can't, my ass is killing. I cannot walk. I'm, my hamstrings are so sore. I'm falling apart. I don't want to do it. And, you know, the funny thing, too, is, like, like yeah, most times... I, do you know what I? I really I don't know. Man. I, like I know before I speak, I'm always terrified. Like honest to God, I could go to the toilet a thousand times, and a cold sweat is running off me when I'm speaking in public. But I suppose when it's over, I, I, I do get that buzz, that magic. You know that I've done something, and you know I've I've overcome that fear. I suppose what's my why? My why probably is overcoming. You know, and my why is probably changed too, like to get better, to, to do things differently. You know, I think it's because, um, being honest, I think it's because I wasted so many years of my life in the bottle of a can or bottom of a bottle, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm hungry now to live, you know, I'm hungry to, to do stuff, you know, to learn stuff. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't want, I don't want to sit in the couch, like, I don't want to sit in the couch like I was for years, like, you know, semi comatose, thinking I was living. And when I know now, I was just surviving, you know. You just, I think you just love giving back. You know, you've been ger- very generous with me, with your time and your knowledge. And now this here, and it seems to me your why is to give back to society. You know, you, you, you're a very generous human being. Thanks, man. Well, I, I said to you, like, I'm, I'm always unhappy when people go down that road because they think I'm a saint. And then I then I let a ripper of a fart go or something. And they're very disappointed in me. <laughs> okay, I'm going to blow smoke up your hole. I'm just going to... You're a nice guy, but if you're any other way, I'd fucking tell you. Yeah, I know. I know you would. I know you would. But it's, you know, it's... it's um, I, I, I don't know. We're, we're bad in Irish, you know, Ireland too. Like, you know, except, I, like, I travel a good bit. And I see, you know, in Ireland, if you give someone a compliment, you say, Mary, that dress is beautiful. Oh, that old thing, Jesus. You know, with <laughs> pennies, nine ninety nine. you know, and it just, you deflect it or... You know, like even I did it there, you know, you, you give some lovely compliments and kind words and instantly we have to, you know, redirect it. But, um, yeah, thanks. It's what we do. We're, we're not used to. We're used to defending ourselves. We're used to, you know, schoolyard, uh, snide comments, you know, look at the state year. Where did you get dressed in the wardrobe or all this? And then when somebody says it, you get, oh, Jesus, you're looking well, man. You're looking sharp. That's nice. You're like, is this fella taking a piss out of me or what? Yeah, what? Or what do you want? What does he want? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, uh, I'm, I, lo- I, I, I like saying nice things to people and I like nice things being said to me. It's counterintuitive, but, yeah, it, it, you know, it's it's a, it's nice. It's just, it's just a nice way of living. Come here, we're getting near the time. What's the one thing you'd like people to take away after listening to this interview? Well, I suppose I'll stick with my original message with the washing machine is if you're under pressure, you know, talk to someone, share the load. Uh, like my life changed and dramatically improved when I talked about my problems and when I dealt with my problems and I got help with my problems. So I'd say, you know, if you're number one thing I'd say to people take coming away from this is share the load. The other thing I'd say is like, if you're going through a bad time, if you're, you know, if you're like, if you're in dark clouds and you can't see a way out, like I always say to people, there's beautiful sunshine the far side. You just have to muck on. You you know, keep going one foot in front of the other. Keep going through that storm. You know, on the, on the walk from Belfast to Waterford, Matt. Um, so I lost all of my toenails. Um, I lost the fat pads on my feet. My heel came off. Um, I had combustible diarrhea, and then it got really, really hard because I broke my two feet, fractured both feet. Because like I was 100 kilos, the washing machine was 40, and 
140 kilos hitting the ground for 10 hours a day, your body breaks. But the funny thing was, on the last marathon, on the last five minutes, I had the same decision to make that I made in the first five minutes, was just keep going. You know, just take one step, just move forward. And, you know, if you are suffering or you're in a bad place and you're watching this, like sometimes it's just that persistence, just that ability to say, bugger, I'll hold on for one more minute or one more hour or one more day. And things do turn around, no matter how bad you think they are, you know, and equally so. I know um, I'm very lucky to meet a lot of people and, and, and share my story with people. But I know from a lot of people that, you know, sometimes if you're if addiction is in your home, that, you know, it's the pain and the toxicity of it infects everyone. And oh. you might not be the person with the drug addiction or the alcohol addiction, but you might be suffering in the most horrible way because someone you love is, is falling apart or someone you love is not coping. And um, the same thing applies to those people. You know, I promise you better days ahead. You know, just keep keep going. Absolutely fantastic. That's brilliant. End of that. You know, I love that interview. You know, you embody what you speak, you embody who you are. Like you reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and I told you are struggling and you offered to, you know, to help me. And here we are now having the chats, <laughs> you know. It's 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 amazing uh, when you surround yourself with good people. You know, it truly is. The universe will give you what you put out. Isn't that true? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like, uh, do you know? Uh, have you ever had an argument with someone and and like three days later or three hours later you say, "I should have told him where to stick that." I should have said. And yet, the perfect line comes three days later. But the perfect line came to me once in an interview. Some guy asked me, "What was your greatest achievement? Was it climbing Kilimanjaro with a washing machine? Was it Ironman? Was it Belfast to Waterford?" And I just for once, it just came out. No rehearse. It just came out, man. I just said to him, best achievement ever by a mile of my life is surrounding myself with positive, happy people. Because, you know, it's it really like we were talking about earlier, it really is infectious. And like make an effort to consciously identify people who will inspire you, people who will care for you, people who will help you and invest, invest your energy and invest your love in them, you know. Yeah, that's fantastic. I can't go without saying, even when we spoke last week, even in this interview, your wife and your family seem to be the absolute pillar in your <laughs> in your pursuit, which is fantastic. And it's lovely. Fair play to them. It's deadly. Thanks, Thanks so much. Okay. Hey, and Matt, can I ask you a really important question? Yeah. Tell me about your sponsors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to that, uh, where can people find you if they want to work with you, if they want to check out uh, your book is called I'm Fine, uh, which yeah, I'm going to read. Shameless, uh, where... shameless, oh, I know. shameless plug. There you go. I'm fine. Me but screaming the opposite. Bring, you bring can... it up. No, bring it back up. Bring it back and I bring it down. Ah, yeah. There you go. Bring it back. Lovely, jubbly. Blue screen is killing it a little bit, but uh, you can. It's available on Amazon. And it's also available signed copy on endo.rt.ie. And um, do you know what? I think it's a great read. I wanted it to be the book. I didn't want like it's 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 a book of hope, a book of happiness. You know when you go on holidays, man, and you're on the last day before the holidays over. Um, do you remember holidays? You do. Do you remember the <laughs> thing? Welcome to Mosny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When 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 before COVID, when we used to go on holidays, you know when you finish the book. And the last day of the holidays, you throw the broken flip flops in the bin and the T-shirt that's yeah. covered in sun cream. You're not bringing that home. And, you know, we, I don't know. It's an Irish thing we do. We, we like empty all our old, old socks and jocks into the bin, you know, in Spain or wherever you are. And you throw all the holiday books away. And, you know, I, I wanted this to be a book that someone read and they go, you know, they're packing the bag the night they're coming home and they go, do you know what? I'm bringing that with me and I'm going to give it to my cousin or I'm going to give that to my uncle or, do you know, what? I'm going to read that again next year, you know, and um so far, so good. You know, it's 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 um, 
I'm I'm absolutely delighted with people's reaction to it. That um, the most common thing people say to me is that I cried and I laughed my head off, and you know that it's it's something different, you know. And I've always striven to do, you know, just do things my own way. And you know, it's it's not going to win, and uh, it's not going to win a Nobel Peace Prize or a Pulitzer Prize. But uh, I I think it's a bloody good story. You know, it sounds a bit far fetched. You know, did you hear the one about the Irish fella that ran around the place with a washing machine in his back? It's I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. Right, I'll tell you about my sponsors uh, before we go. I want to thank Noi Rooney from Rooney Media Graphics. Uh, you need any uh, graphic design, any work done that way. They're absolutely fantastic. Also, Andy from Liberty Media Hub. My pals, Sandra and Lisa Callagher from Shannon's Hopeline. They're doing amazing work in my community, looking after mental health, grassroots mental health, uh, preventing suicide and improving people's uh, well-being. They're absolutely fantastic. And then the the Liberty Soup Run, great, great, great work that uh, Fran and Chris are doing, looking after people around the area who are homeless. Uh, and to you, the listeners, thanks very much for all your support and sharing our work. Uh, please share this with family and friends. As always, mind your little self. When you mind you, you're a much kinder and compassionate person in the world. When you start minding and being careful with yourself and your own mental health, you see the world totally different. Isn't that right? And uh, back me up, brother. Hundred percent. I love it. I love it. I said it with great smile, Panache, and a smile. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. Uh, see you all later. Take care.